about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Good evening. We're just reading 1 Peter 5, 1-14. You can find it on your handout or in the Pew Bibles. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all of you who are in Christ. Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, my name is Peter. It's my privilege to be able to bring you this message on the final sermon in our series of 1 Peter. It's been quite a journey. And one theme throughout the letter has been the readiness of Christians to suffer in the name of Christ. Now, whilst this may not be a popular theme, Peter makes it clear that suffering in the name of Christ is part of the normal Christian life. So let's just pray and ask that the Lord might lead us as we look at this passage together. Father, as we look at a passage and think about what it looks like to live in the midst of a spiritual battle, we pray that you'll give us your insights today so that we might live more faithfully for you in our Christian lives. Amen. This theme of suffering that's been going right through the book of the letter of 1 Peter, let me just show you some of the verses here. This is from chapter 1 where it talked about suffering. In all of this you greatly rejoiced, though Now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Then in chapter 2, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable to God. A couple of verses from chapter 3. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Also in chapter 3, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then finally, in chapter 4, last week, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. In today's reading, we get to see that behind the suffering that Christians are called to endure in the name of Christ is an evil, a great evil hell-bent on our destruction and that we live the Christian life in the context of a great spiritual battle. See verse 8 there of... uh, Verse 7, actually, uh, verse 8 there, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion for someone to devour. Now, we rarely ever speak of Satan and the devil in church. It may feel childish or even comical to speak of the devil. And our images of the devil, maybe in red tights and a pitchfork or... You know, you see that depicted in film or in, 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 uh, in other literature and art. In our age of scientific rationalism, we are barely even conscious of the spirit world at all. And even Bible-believing Christians may find it hard to believe that the devil is real. Is that a fair description for you? If so, we then have a problem. The Bible's very clear that we live the Christian life in the context of a great spiritual battle. Just think how often Jesus drove out demons in the Gospels. Or just reflect on Paul's language when he says, when he describes the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, sometimes we may think, oh, well, that's, things were different back then. Are these things real today? When we worked as missionaries in Indonesia, one of our colleagues shared his experience with us. They went to a village in Borneo uh, where they saw a woman who was demon-possessed. She was so violent that they had locked her in a cage. Her fists were so clenched that her fingernails had grown through her hands. When they prayed for her in the name of Jesus, the demon left her and she was free. The village people were so amazed that then they gathered up all their sort of charms and amulets and idols and they burnt them in a big bonfire. It really reminds me of the story of Legion in the Bible, in the Gospels. And they then called her Grace. Even today, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you know that in most cultures around the globe, people are so obsessed with the spirit world that they live their daily lives in fear of evil spirits? That is one unhealthy extreme. But we live at the other extreme, don't we? In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he says the greatest strategy of Satan in the Western world, in Western culture, is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. And our naivety leaves us complacent and vulnerable. This verse is the exact corrective that we need. Look at it again, friends. Be alert and of sober mind. It is a gruesome picture. We have an enemy. He is real. He is a powerful enemy. He's depicted as a roaring lion. He's on the hunt, prowling for prey. 
and his prey are the followers of Jesus. We are in his sights. It is an awful picture of a reality that we don't even give a passing thought to. And this is just one of many verses in the Bible. Look at, just read Revelation chapter 12, and it depicts Satan there as a dragon that is waging war against the followers of Jesus, waging war against us. Now we're going to come back to this verse a little bit later. The final chapter of 1 Peter, this chapter here, 1 Peter chapter 5, gives practical advice to the followers of Jesus on how to stand firm in the midst of the great spiritual battle. Now the great news is that we already know how the battle ends. No matter how much Satan rages against us, no matter how we may suffer as Christians for a time, we know that Jesus has won the victory on the cross and, and in the empty tomb. Jesus reigns, he is our great shepherd and protector, and he will return and take us to be with him for eternity. We know the end, praise God. But in the present, in the midst of the spiritual battle, how can we stand? So we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. And we see there in the beginning of the chapter, that God, one, the first thing God does is he gives us shepherds to guard his flock. Verses 1 to 4 are written to the elders of the churches, to those who have been given pastoral leadership in the church. And in verse 2, he describes them as shepherds who serve under the chief shepherd. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. When Marcel and I were first married, we bought a few acres of vacant land just over the Blue Mountains in Little Hartley. We thought this was a wonderful dream we had. The land was covered in blackberries, so we came up with a great idea. We bought three goats. There was grass, there was water, that was all they needed. We could check on them every few months and they would keep the blackberries down. Sweet. About two weeks later, we got a phone call from the neighbour. You need to tend your goats. You need to cut their nails and you need to give them a drench. What the heck is this? You know, we, that was never part of the bargain. Anyway, we were optimists and we thought this was... Okay, we headed off to the country with nail clippers and a syringe. Now, we figured it would, honestly, we figured it would take a couple of hours. Can't be, can't be too difficult. Then we could retire to the coffee shop and really enjoy the country life. Now, Marcel and I are city folk. There was one problem that we didn't foresee. Can you think of what problem we did not foresee? How the heck do you catch a goat? <laughs> we ran around the paddock trying to herd these goats somewhere. We tried to herd them into the corner. I don't know what we thought we were going to do when we got close to them, like we were going to jump on them or something or tackle them. I don't know what we thought we were going to do. It doesn't matter. We never even got close. So we were so exhausted after two hours, we gave up. And uh, then we did the only sensible thing that you could possibly do. We rang our neighbour and said to him, would you like three goats? 
said, sure. <laughs> now, what is all this talk about shepherds? Being a shepherd is a million miles away from my own experience. But shepherds are mentioned throughout the Bible. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. David calls, uh, wrote in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel condemns the leaders of Israel for being bad shepherds. And then, of course, Jesus, in John chapter 10, refers to himself as the good shepherd. You know, shepherds actually lived with their sheep. They didn't live in the farmhouse while the sheep were in the paddock. They knew the sheep by name. And the sheep knew their voice, the voice of the shepherd, and only followed that voice. They protected the sheep from rustlers, from wild dogs, and even lions which is helpful in reference to verse 8. They fed them, because in, in Israel, in the arid country there, the shepherds led them to where there was grass and water. They tended to them because sheep were so easily tormented by flies and parasites. The shepherd was everything to the sheep, and the sheep were everything to the shepherd. They were his life as much as he was theirs. Now, Jesus, our good shepherd, the chief shepherd, as we read in verse 4, did far more than a normal shepherd would have done. He laid down his life for his sheep, for, for us. But Jesus also appointed what we could call under-shepherds, or shepherds, to care for and watch over his church or his flock. So despite my own goat-herding failure... A shepherd is a great image for the relationship between Christ and the church and also between those appointed by God as elders or pastors or shepherds and the churches under their care. Who are these elders? Well, within our Anglican diocese here, that would include those who have been ordained and licensed by the archbishop, as presbyters or elders or pastors, that's Andrew, of course, our senior minister, and myself as an assistant here, both of us are licensed to serve in the church. And we really need to be thankful that in our diocese there is a very thorough and lengthy process in selecting, training and supporting clergy. But elders are not just clergy. They are, there are also among us those who have been trained and appointed as lay pastors lay ministers, I mean I think these terms are rather interchangeable, or lay elders in our church. Elders are those with pastoral responsibility. And we have been given elders or pastors in our churches as a gift from God to help us stand firm. They've been appointed by Jesus to watch over his flock, to pray for you, to speak the words of God to you to encourage, to train, to protect, even to rebuke. So let me ask you, if Satan is on the prowl, intent on damaging Christ's church, who might be his prime target? Those in leadership in our churches. I think Peter wrote these words here because he was painfully aware of the dangers of moral failure among church leaders. And he knows this from personal experience because Peter himself denied knowing Jesus three times. 
He repented of that and was restored by Jesus. That's why the risen Jesus said to Peter three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter knows that those in leadership, pastoral leadership, are particularly vulnerable to spiritual attack. And he knows the damage that that can do. We see this way too often, don't we? In our churches, cases of sexual abuse by clergy, by leaders, the misuse of power, bullying, financial impropriety. Barely a day goes by that these things are not reported in the press. Each case of moral failure is another blow to the church's credibility and integrity as the people of God. And with each case of moral failure, Satan rejoices at the church's demise. That is why these instructions are here. Here are four marks of, or characteristics of what we want to see in our leaders that Peter gives us. A willing spirit, not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve, not lording it over those who are entrusted to them and living as examples to the flock. Now all these are actually descriptions of the Lord Jesus and these are all descriptions of servant leadership. And when I read these verses here, I really do feel the weight of them as I know Andrew feels the weight of them. And we are conscious that we will often get it wrong and we will fail you. So it is really helpful that you get to listen in on these instructions given to the elders. One thing it can help you do is to submit to your elders as the people who have, who have been set over you by the Lord. And that is why I think there is that rebuke to younger Christians in the first part of verse 5. Also, if you're aware of the spiritual attack and temptations that, you're, that those in pastoral leadership particularly may face, it can help you to support and care for them better. You know, those in pastoral leadership, often there are no boundaries. So it's really helpful that whilst we look to them to lead, that we also are careful not to place unreasonable expectations on them and on their families. Burnout amongst clergy, or those in leadership, is a major problem in our churches. And one of the biggest reasons for that is unresolved conflict. We need to manage conflict well and not let Satan gain a foothold among us. Look for ways to be supportive and encouraging. A simple word of appreciation can make a difference. Find ways to love those in leadership. Help them fulfill God's calling. And these verses can also help you to know how to pray. How often do you pray for those who are in leadership over you? Pray for us, particularly for Andrew. Pray that we will not fall into sin or give way to the temptations of Satan. Pray that we will serve with a willing and joyful spirit, not greedy for money, not misusing our authority. Pray that we will set examples of godliness. And please pray that we will keep our hearts and minds focused on the chief shepherd, Jesus. 
Secondly, in the midst of the spiritual battle, we are told that we can cast all our anxieties on the God who cares for us. If we were meant to live the Christian life on our own strength, there would be no way we could stand against the devil and the powers of evil. We would be without hope. But the opposite is true. We have a God who cares. I love the last words of verse 7. They should really warm our hearts. He cares for you. It is great to feel loved, isn't it? it is, is there a better feeling than to know that we are loved? But friends, we're not talking here about the love of a person who is weak and frail like us. We are talking about the love of God, the love of the creator and sustainer of the entire universe. Step outside on a clear night, look at the billions of galaxies in the universe, and then say to yourself, he cares for me. That is extraordinary. The devil can prowl around looking to devour us, but we have a shepherd a great shepherd, the almighty God of the universe who cares for us. That is why the right way to live with God is in humility. You see it in those verses there. Verse 5 says, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility is not weakness. It actually takes courage. Humility means accepting the fact that we are sinful, that we are weak, that we don't know the answers, nor have the strength on our own, that we trust in a mighty God who is both loving and powerful, that we are dependent on him and lost without him. It is the acceptance that God is God and we are not. And it is the only posture that we can have before the living God. And humility, in humility, we can cast all our anxieties onto him. What a privilege that is. He actually tells us to do that here. Nothing is too petty or small for him. Nothing is too large or overwhelming. Do you know, we feel anxious about all sorts of things in life. Sickness, money problems, strained relationships, hurts and offenses that have been done to us, job security, loneliness, fear, at times we can be overwhelmed by anxiety and even then we forget to cast our anxieties onto God. Even then we hold onto our anxieties and forget that we have a loving Father. Casting all your anxieties on God is an expression of our humility. It says to God, I can't manage these, but you can. And failing to cast our anxieties on God is a sign of our pride. I can do this myself. So how do we live in the midst of the spiritual, the great spiritual battle? We come in humility under, the, under God's mighty hand and cast all our anxieties on him. And the promise from God is that he will lift you up. He may not do that immediately because there may be lessons God wants, us, wants to teach us or things he wants to grow in us, but in due time he promises that he will lift us up. Wow. 
These things that weigh me down will not defeat me. He will lift me up, praise God. Thirdly, we come to the verse that we began with, resist the devil. You know, the devil, as we said here in this verse, is hell-bent on our destruction. How is it possible to defeat such an enemy? The great news is that Jesus has Satan already at the cross. And verse 9 here tells us that we can resist. Now the simple command, resist him, is extraordinary. Imagine coming face to face with a lion hunting for food. There would be no resistance. You would be dead. But Peter says, resist him. James is even clearer in James 4.16. Resist the devil and he will flee. Where does that power to resist come from? Peter doesn't say exactly, but presumably it is the power of Jesus himself within us that enables us to stand firm in the faith. We can resist. The rest of verse 9 tells us that we're not alone. Suffering for Christ is normal Christian experience and is the experience of Christians all over the world. Resisting the devil, standing firm in Christ, comes at a cost. For you and I, that will mean not giving in to temptation when sin seems so attractive. It will mean standing up for what we believe even though the people around us think we're crazy. It will mean making lifestyle choices in which we deny ourselves worldly pleasures. It will mean that we give our time and our money and our blood, sweat and tears in service of the kingdom. Resisting Satan requires deliberate effort and it will cost us. But the Bible assures us we can resist him and stand firm. How do we resist? Well, the verse, part of the verse says, be alert and of sober mind. If we are asleep as Christians, we won't resist him. Instead, we need to live each day conscious of our identity as Christians, conscious of our identity in Christ. We don't just believe in the gospel. We live in the gospel. It shapes who we are. It shapes what we think and how we act. I was talking to my brother-in-law about this passage a couple of days ago and he said to me, when random thoughts come into my mind that he knows are not right, he tells Satan to get lost. But that's very helpful because he will not allow Satan to have any room in his life. Don't play with evil thoughts in your mind. Get rid of them. Get lost, Satan. Meeting together with each other as Christians, reading the word of God together and being honest with each other in that is important to help us to resist. If we're honest about the struggles we have and the areas of our weakness and vulnerability, we share that with each other and pray for each other, that will help us to resist and stand firm. Knowing the Bible is important. Do you remember what Jesus did when he was tempted for 40 days by Satan in the wilderness? He quoted scripture at him. 
Three times Jesus says to Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written. Knowing the Bible, the scriptures is the sword of the spirit. We stand firm in the faith and resist Satan by knowing and also applying the Bible. God's given us what we need to resist, but we must resist. And then finally we come to the last verse, these last verses. And we're reminded here that our sufferings are temporary, but our hope is eternal. Have a look in verse 10. We are told in verse 10, the great spiritual battle will end. You know, it's so much easier, isn't it, to persevere with something, to persevere with an issue, any sort of struggle, if we know that it's only temporary and that it will end. That makes a difference. And we know that here, that it will end. Friends, in that verse, we're told what awaits us. Eternal glory. Just think about that for a moment. Glory that lasts forever. Suffering in the name of Christ now is temporary. What awaits us is eternal glory. When I feel weak, when I'm weighed down by sin and worry, when I feel tired, if God wasn't there, I would have no hope. But I have a promise here as you have a promise here, he will restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. Or as it said in verse 7, he will lift you up. He may not do that now, though I think he does restore us over and over again in our lives, but he will certainly do that in the next life. So we live as Christians in the midst of a great spiritual battle that we are often oblivious to, we have a great adversary seeking to destroy us. Satan would love nothing more today than to destroy your faith and the faith of our church. But the church belongs to Jesus, our great shepherd. We are his special possession, his holy people. Standing firm for Christ in this life will bring struggles. It's easier to live in sin. It is easier to deny Christ and enjoy the idols of the world. It is easier to gain the world and lose our soul. It is easier, but not better. Christ has set us free to live lives of purpose and meaning. Standing firm for Christ in this life will bring struggles. We may suffer, but only for a while. Jesus has already won the victory over sin, the world and the devil. And our glorious eternity is certain. When life is difficult, don't forget that. Jesus is enthroned above. Satan's end has already been cast in stone. We have hope in this life and also in eternity. In him, we can stand. We are victorious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of this chapter, though also for the reality check that this chapter brings to us the reminder that we actually live the Christian life in the context of a great spiritual battle and that the devil is real and is seeking to devour us and to destroy us. But we thank you, Father, that you are our great shepherd 
that Jesus is the chief shepherd. We belong to you. We thank you, Lord, that you give us all we need to stand firm. We thank you for those you've put in leadership in our churches. We thank you, Father, that we can cast all our anxieties upon you. We thank you, Father, that we can resist Satan. And we thank you, Father, we know this is temporary and we are filled with a certain hope and a sure hope of eternal life. For all these things, we thank you, Father. And we pray that we here will stand firm in the midst of this great spiritual battle. In Jesus' name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.